everyone, and welcome to Meetups with Mediators, a podcast brought to you by the Columbus Bar Association. I'm your host, Veronica Cravener. This is a podcast for both mediators and attorneys who represent clients at mediation. The goal is to provide takeaways to help you make your next mediation your best mediation. Today's topic is how to structure a mediation to encourage productive conversations rather than bitter communications. So, whether you're an attorney or a mediator, chances are you've been in a mediation where parties' emotions have gotten the best of them. And the mediation has quickly turned sour fast. If you've ever thought to yourself, is there a better way? Is there something that we can do at the outset to help prevent this? Then this episode is just for you. Today's guest is mediator and attorney Alex Sanchez. Alex is going to discuss how he leverages the mediator's ability to structure the mediation process to help both reduce stress for parties and encourage parties to focus on solutions rather than problems. And he does this all with the goal of creating an atmosphere where parties can actually exercise informed decision-making. So with that, let me introduce today's guest, Alex Sanchez. Alex, thanks for being here today and welcome to Meetups with Mediators. Thank you for having me. So that our listeners have a sense of what your background is, can you tell us how did you get your start in mediation? Well, my uh, start in mediation began probably about 10 years ago or so after uh, uh, undergraduate, uh, after I got my bachelor's degree, I uh, was a assistant in a class action defense firm, and we primarily mediated those cases. From there, I got into that whole process of uh, getting into negotiation and principled uh, decision making and all that. and. Uh, that led me to uh, the Ohio State University Moritz College of Law, and uh, the rest is history. And that's great. And and can you tell us, just so that our listeners have a sense of your range of experience, uh, what are the types of disputes that you're seeing in mediation? So uh, mediating cases at the, the municipal court here in Franklin County, those types of cases, all civil cases, range to everything from landlord-tenant, debt collection, general claims for money like loans, um, roommate disputes. It could be really anything. Um, property damage, insurance claims, anything that you can have in the municipal court, we mediate. Okay. So I bet you've seen a lot of different types of disputes where you've been able to sort of leverage your skills and, and, and learn how to best structure uh, mediation so that you can help parties have those productive conversations. That's right. And most uh, most of my mediations, really, the, the the claim, whether it's for money or whatever the, the quote unquote legal issue is, that's just the uh, sort of the past that gets people in the door. And there's a range of issues that go behind uh, whatever that claim is that, that we often resolve through the mediation process. Well, that's great. Well, I want to fill our listeners in on, uh, I've observed you mediate plenty of times, and um, I've really learned a lot from you over the past couple of years. And I think one thing that I'm so excited you're here to talk about how to structure mediation, because one thing that I've really learned from you is how to be mindful as a mediator, you know, not to just put parties in the same room just because maybe that's how I was trained as a mediator, but instead to have a reason for doing each thing as a mediator. So if I'm going to have parties together, have a reason for that. If I'm going to uh, speak to parties privately in caucus, have a reason for that too. And so I'm so thrilled you're here to talk to us today about um, the techniques that you use when you structure a mediation. And I know you use more of a 
solutions-focused approach. And so that's where I wanted to have you on to talk about that. Uh, can you tell us, I mean, how do you define a more solutions-focused approach for mediation? Well, solution-focused mediation has a background in cognitive behavioral therapy and, and positive psychology. Um, it's not something that I created. It's something that I, I read about. Uh, there's there's a, a range of inter- interdisciplinary research on this topic. Um, one author uh, that's written extensively on this is Frederick, uh, uh, Frederica Bannock, and um, she's uh, talked about how you can apply um, cognitive behavioral, behavioral therapy um, and not practice therapy, but apply those skills and that research in the realm of, of mediation to, to help parties. Because under, you know, when you're talking about uh, uh, podcasts and things like this to help advance the mediation practice, one of the the uh, ABA standards of conduct for mediators is structuring the mediation process so that's a balance between party self-determination and the mediator's obligation to creating a quality process. So we want to make sure that we're doing the best we can to promote neutrality, party self-determination, of course, do no harm to the parties. We want to make sure the parties are in no worse a situation than when they got here. They should be, you know, leaving hopefully in a, in a better spot than when they got to the to the mediation table or that or that room with with the mediator. So that's the uh, the sort of the background, and, and the solution focus approach focuses on obviously not uh, uh, what the problem is in the past. It focuses on what solutions could be created, uh, focusing on the positive. Uh, it reminds me of uh, when I started in, in my role at the municipal court. My uh, predecessor uh, Eileen Pruitt gave me a uh, a little thin book. It's called the little thin book of appreciative inquiry, focusing on, you know, what works as opposed to what the problem is and and focusing on that that negative aspect and how to fix, quote unquote, quote unquote, fix the problem. So that's how I got into reading more about this solution focused approach and how focusing on the positive can lead to uh, uh, more creativity, better solutions uh, and uh, workable agreements between the parties. So that's pretty interesting. So it sounds like over the years, it sounds like your mediation technique has really gone through some evolution uh, that you've really been influenced by other fields like psychology. And you mentioned cognitive behavioral therapy and you mentioned even uh, I think that was a management book, right? The Appreciative right. Inquiry. Right. Um, so it sounds like you have really drawn from other fields to influence your mediation style and I know we always have conversations about mediation and we always tell folks, you know, you can't, I can't help you get what you don't want from the past, but I can help you try to move forward. And so it sounds like that's what you're really doing with the more solutions focused. Yeah. And I was, I was surprised to see that that approach isn't just limited to, to therapy. It's used in, uh, like you mentioned, business management. It's used in even sports, uh, uh, employer, employer, uh, uh, employee relationships. Um, it's it's been applied to a range of other fields, and I think that mediation is a, a perfect fit for that for that approach. And can you share with us? Because I know you were trained as a facilitative mediator. I mean, now that you use more of a solutions focused approach uh, versus the traditional quote unquote, um, you know, the facilitative model, we tend to think about typically putting parties in joint session, typically talking about the problem first before moving on to potential solutions. I mean, what have you noticed as you've made that change to a more solution-focused model? So I guess the most important thing is that, uh, I guess, while it may be called solution-focused, it's still facilitative in that okay. as a mediator, neutral third party, trying to help the parties you know, facilitate communication back and forth to reach a, a mutually acceptable uh, agreement. So it's still uh, facilitative in that sense. I think the difference is how that mediation is structured. 
Okay. So if you look at that traditional uh, facilitative model, it, it begins with the parties coming together uh, with the mediator. One party shares uh, his or her experience of what the problem was, and then the mediator may or may not do some reframing or summarizing, and then turns to the other party, and that party explains what what his or her uh, perspective is on the problem. So it focuses on the past uh, immediately, um, and uh, uh, you know we may feel that that uh, uh, makes sense, but you've got to think about it from the perspective of the parties. And uh, again, you know, reading some other research on on neuroscience. Um, again, positive psychology, the mediation doesn't necessarily begin when the parties enter the room. The, the issues uh, behind it are obviously extend out in the past, but that person's experience begins the second they wake up. So they know that they have this mediation schedule. They know they're, they're possibly set up for a showdown. They might not have the full range of expectations on what mediation is all about. So just think about it. You know, they wake up, maybe got some anxiety, some some aggravation to, to start the day. Uh, they get in their car. They have to, maybe they drive all the way downtown. There's As it is right now downtown, there's street closures, uh, a lot of one-way streets. Maybe you're not familiar with it. So you get in your car. Maybe you're running a little late. Maybe you get to the parking garage and the arm doesn't go up to get in the garage and you have all these issues and you're stressed out just from not even mediation hasn't even started and you're already experiencing some some increased anxiety maybe your your adrenaline uh levels kick up and then you finally get to the maybe the lobby of the court or or the lobby of the mediation room and uh maybe the other party appears and then at that moment you instantly remember all the problems that the negative emotions all those negative aspects and you haven't even said a word to the other party and mediation hasn't even started the other party sees you and then the same thing's happening possibly for the other party and then finally, when you get into the room with the mediator, the mediator might be doing his or her introduction. The parties may uh, have increased, again, increased adrenaline, stress levels rise. They start sweating possibly, and uh, they're getting ready for that for that showdown. When the mediator completes his or her introduction, turns to the one party. As that party is explaining what the problem is, the other party is not really listening necessarily. They may be trying to form their own response, their counter, their counter uh, uh, a response to, to whatever the party is saying is maybe the facts or the, the situation. So they may not be in the right, uh, quote unquote, the right frame of mind to, to think creatively or positively. And they may just be focusing on how to get the better leg up or, or call somebody out, you know, quote unquote, for being a liar, not telling the truth and uh, uh, a, a range of issues. Uh, come with that. And then the mediator may be focusing his or her time on uh, diffusing the situation, trying to maybe even calling a caucus at that point because things might have gotten out of hand. So the the solution-focused approach sort of turns that process around to make it, of course, a little more positive. So what I tend to do in my mediations um, is I, I do in addition to intake, we make sure it's appropriate for the mediation to even go forward. Uh, I want to build some kind of connection with the parties individually, privately, whether it's that day or before the mediation. So the parties understand, you know, what the expectations are, what the mediation process is all about. How can it, it can help them? How can, how can they really help themselves with this process? Uh, so that they understand that it is a ne- negotiation. It's just a facilitated negotiation. And, um, so build that, that trust, uh, that, that, um, uh, get that, experience that that groundwork laid out for the uh, mediation when it actually starts. And then even that, sometimes parties don't want to be in the same room with with each other. They may have had some kind of negative experience. Maybe there was, uh, whether it's emotional or physical, um, and they may want to be separated and just have the mediator sort of shuttle back and forth between between rooms or whether it's on the phone or something else. Um, and that that may 
have a, a range of benefits, right? So if the parties are separate, they may have less anxiety. Their their uh, emotional responses to, to statements may not be as inflamed, uh, and they may be able to think a little a little more clearly. Because when parties get upset or those emotion levels rise and the adrenaline, cortisol, uh, uh, all those levels, all those hormones rise, uh, you might have tunnel vision. You might be, not be thinking clearly. You may take uh, innocuous statement or even a statement from an innocent bystander like the mediator, something that the mediator is trying to say to, to help the party understand what the other party might be saying. That could even be taken negatively. So um, if you can structure the process so that uh, uh, you can take a little m- bit more time to, to explain it build that trust, um, help the parties make informed decisions. That's, that's, that's the ultimate goal. Okay. So it sounds like, you know, as you're using this more solutions-focused approach, you still consider yourself to be a facilitative mediator. That, that facilitative mediation, sort of your take is, it doesn't have to mean that the mediation looks the same way all the time, that it allows flexibility for the mediator to really customize what the mediation is going to look like for the parties um, based on input from the parties. And it sounds like also, I mean, you know, you are um, allowing yourself to be influenced by what you've read in other fields like psychology, like management principles, and, and that you're focused on trying to help parties alleviate some stress that it sounds like you've observed in your mediations that when parties are stressed out for various reasons, whether it's just because they had a hard time getting down to the mediation or because you know, maybe they didn't really want to be in the same room. It sounds like you've noticed that. And, and over the years, you have really adapted your technique to try to, just like we said at the beginning, help parties have those productive conversations rather than, rather than the bitter communications that we're all trying to avoid. Right, right. And uh, another, another reason, um, uh, uh, recently, and it's not even really recently, in the last few decades, there's been a body of research that, that suggests a lot of the, the underlying uh, assumptions for the traditional, the traditional model where, you know, you have both parties sit together in the room and the, and the mediator sort of diagnoses the problem and sort of tries to fix it. Um, uh, a lot of those reasons are sort of been debunked. A, a few myths like the, uh, the catharsis myth, the, uh, the myth of body language. Um, and that all just leads to the to the myth of that ceremonial joint session. Um, so, for example, the catharsis myth, you know, a lot of people think that, hey, if you have the ability to vent and express your anger to the other party, you're going to feel a lot better. And that's just not scientifically true. It's actually been disproven that the more you, quote unquote, vent and you express that negative aggression or anger, the more aggressive you may become toward the other party and possibly even toward an innocent bystander like, like the mediator. So uh, uh, venting. Uh, does not have the positive uh, impact that many people still to this day believe that it does. You probably heard the the phrase, you know, go yell in your pillow or hammer a nail. Um, that doesn't necessarily uh, uh, help uh, reduce uh, that that anger. And of course, the the base of that, you know, Freud. You know, it's, if if anything refers back to Freud, you know, I'm I'm kind of I take it with a grain of salt. And and really, Freud re- resurrected that catharsis uh, a myth. Um, and then it was even reinforced uh, uh, not too long ago. You know. As, as attorneys, we all read that book, Getting to Yes, right? Sort of that, that uh, uh, foundational framework for uh, interest-based negotiation. And in there, uh, they write, you know, people obtain psychological release through the simple process of, of recounting their grievances. And, and science would say otherwise, just simply talking about the negative and focusing on the negative or the conflict may not have that positive, positive uh, benefit. 
And then another reason uh, why people, I hear a lot of people say that, you know, I got to, I got to be in that same room. I want to, I want to, I want to see that person. I want to look that person in the eye. And that speaks a lot to uh, body language. And we feel that uh, we can get some kind of sense into what the person's thinking just by reading their body language or, or their eye contact. And again, that's, that's also been sort of debunked or, or disproven. Um, there was a, a, a research long time ago, about 50 years, saying that, uh, and you probably heard something similar, that uh, communication is 10% verbal and 90% nonverbal. And, and that's just not, it's just not true. Uh, it was actually a, a misunderstanding of that, that uh, research uh, done through UCLA uh, a while ago. And uh, ma- majority of communication is verbal. And uh, what people say means more than how people act or their body language. Um, it's even been that sort of research has even been um, applied in the in the criminal realm, right? You have false confessions where you might have uh, somebody who may be actually innocent brought into that interrogation or the interview room, and then based on that body language, maybe that interrogation looks gets a little more uh, heated or, or uh, uh, heightened, and eventually leads to a false confession. So uh, 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 the one doctor, Doctor Saul Kasson, has been uh, the leading expert in that sort of realm. How? body language might not necessarily uh, uh, be uh, correct. You probably have about a 50-50 chance of by reading somebody's bio, body language knowing exactly what they're thinking. So that, again, that all feeds into sort of that that myth of the, the joint session, how you might be able to, um, uh, by, by looking at that person, you might be able to read that person, get a better understanding of what they're thinking. And also, you know, if you want to be able to vent and express your anger, how that might uh, not be such a positive, uh, might not have a positive effect on the mediation process. That's interesting. And I imagine too, I mean, if someone really has this desire to vent, I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean they have to do that with the other party in the room, right? I mean, they can, they can vent to you, the mediator, and, and they can sort of exercise that desire to vent without having the other side get angry and potentially walk out of the mediation, right? Right. And I guess the, uh, the, the, the whole basis is what what is it what does it mean to vent is does venting mean uh the opportunity opportunity to express sort of why that problem is negatively impacting their current situation and how that's impacting their any kind of future resolution then it's then it's very appropriate to talk about that underlying problem or those those issues and quote unquote vent whether it's to the mediator or to maybe a support person something like that say why is the past negatively impacting your current situation and preventing you from moving forward in the future? Um, I always ask parties, you know, what would you like to see happen moving forward? Or, you know, what would you like to see as a as an outcome or a resolution? I usually start with that in the beginning and and don't wait till uh, step four or five or whatever that, that traditional um, uh, process is. Uh, I like to hear from them in the beginning so they can think start forward looking as opposed to backward looking. Think about what they would like to see happen. In their in their sort of perfect world, uh, as a, as a resolution or a potential potential agreement. Well, Alex, hey, this has been uh, really interesting, and I know we've had the chance to to talk about a lot of theory so far today. And I figure I've come up with a game. Uh, if you've listened to our previous episodes, you know that I'm a fan of games, and uh, I thought I'd try to have you put some of this theory into practice. So I've got a game that I've called Structure This. And I've got three hypotheticals, uh, situations, and at the end of each hypo, I'll ask you, how would you structure that mediation? So are you ready for for structure this? Sounds good. Okay. So hypo number one, let's say both parties are unrepresented, and the situation is that one party says 
they made a gift to the other side, a gift of money. The other side says um, it was a personal loan. These two parties are former roommates and friends. So just based on knowing that information, how would you structure that mediation? So I, I would definitely want to speak to both parties, hopefully privately, uh, before the mediation, of course, uh, to see if they, if they have any kind of past, what that past relationship might have been. Um, was it just simply uh, 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 a more deeper relationship? Maybe they were, you know, quote unquote lovers, um, or were they just friends and roommates and then something happened and just went south? Uh, getting a better understanding of, of what might have happened um, to lead to that, to that mediation or that moment would help me structure that process. Because there might have been a situation where, like, of course, you know, the extreme domestic violence or something like that could have uh, played a role. So always want to be conscious of, of what might have happened and to make it the most productive. I start probably separate, um, be able to talk to the parties, get a better understanding of, of uh, what might have happened and what they would like to see happen in the mediation, make sure it's appropriate to even move forward. Uh, so in that situation, at least to start, I'd start them separate, want to do some uh, extensive intake and see what, what they would like to see, see if they even have any other, maybe they have other cases. A lot of times we see cases in the court where uh, the the stop on the uh, on the municipal court is just one in a series of stops in other, other courts, other cases. And, you know, sometimes parties try to leverage the process for uh, uh, negative reasons and not necessarily to resolve disputes uh, completely. So want to make sure that the parties are, are wanting to participate for, for the right reasons. Okay. So it sounds like it, it, based on knowing just that information, you're going to talk to parties separately. You're going to see if you can sort of get the story behind the story and then let that information help you make a decision in terms of how the rest of the mediation is going to proceed, like right. whether parties are going to be separate, whether they're going to be together and whatnot. And even if it's just appropriate for you to mediate at all. Mm -hmm. That's right. Okay. Okay. All right. So how about hypo number two? Uh, again, let's say both parties are unrepresented. One party says there's an amount of money owed. Another party says, I agree. I, I do owe this other person money. And I just want to set up payment arrangements. I, I just started a job. I'm in a probationary period. Uh, so I'd prefer to, to not have to come down in person. How would you structure based on those facts? And, and, uh, uh, that, that raises a good, a good point. We have a series of options available for parties, uh, regardless of whether they're represented or unrepresented, we try to make the process as flexible as process. So we offer the ability to mediate in person, by phone, or even online. So a situation like that where that person may be starting a new job and they might simply just want to set up a payment plan, there might not be any past history, and it's simply just a one-off transaction type type arrangement, the opportunity to me mediate online is is an option. I definitely uh, propose that option to, to one or, or both parties um, to see if they want to try to resolve it sort of in a way that works best for them on their own time, as opposed to having to coordinate schedules, come all the way down to court just for possibly a 10 minute uh, negotiation or mediation. So be as flexible as, uh, as possible. Let the party uh, structure the process that in a way that best fits uh, him or her so that they can uh, get it resolved uh, on their own terms. Okay. So it sounds like with that, that hypothetical, 
You're really thinking more in terms of uh, what's going to alleviate stress for the parties if they're going to participate in this process. So you're not going to require parties to come down in person, but instead you talk about options like going online, uh, especially with the in the fact pattern we mentioned, someone just starting a job that, hey, if they've just started a job and they're in their probationary period, it may cause them extra stress just to have to take time off to participate in a mediation. So you're wanting to be mindful of that. Yeah, and, and one of the reasons uh, we've, we've moved to having phone as an option and, of course, online uh, as an option as well is we did have a party that came down, was in their probationary period and, and lost their job as a result of having to come down to, to court for that mediation. And it ended up being just a 30-minute mediation, actually a little bit less, and they set up a, 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 a payment arrangement to resolve the case. But that person lost lost his job. Um, and it was very unfortunate. And I wish I would have known that, um, because we did have the, the other options to make it a little more, uh, easier to participate. Okay. And let's talk about, so hypo three. Uh, how about this time you've got a plaintiff that's represented and a defendant that is unrepresented. Let's say that this is a pending court case. It's a rent escrow case. And so the issues are, uh, health and safety maintenance issues. So just knowing that information, how would you structure that mediation? Yeah, so so if it's a, a rent escrow case, a landlord-tenant situation, they may have a past relationship and they may have an ongoing relationship. So so maintaining that relationship may be, may be important to the parties. Uh, a lot of times, and I mentioned the solutions-focused approach that in, in many conflicts or, or situations, uh, the, the quote unquote problem isn't really necessary to coming up with a, with a solution. So in that situation, it may be the parties just want to separate and end their relationship. Um, uh, because one party is represented, one party is unrepresented. The unrepresented party may not want to be in the same room as the party that's represented, may be intimidated. There may be, uh, fears of coercion or something like that. So I, again, want to talk to the parties separate, um, uh, a lot of times parties that are represented want to be alone with their attorney so they can strategize and have that that private communications with with their attorney. Um, so give them that that opportunity as well. But again, it all goes back to uh, speaking with the parties, developing that that relationship, that trust, uh, getting them to to think uh, about the future and what they would like to see happen, not necessarily whatever that problem might have been that led to the. Uh, uh, to the rent escrow case being filed, it may or may not have been related to repairs or, or issues uh, related to the housing. It may just be something that party needs to move or is, is changing a job or leaving the, the state or the country and wants to, to just simply end the, the uh, relationship, end the lease, terminate that lease uh, in order to move forward. Again, like I said, uh, a lot of claims, a lot of uh, cases that are filed or brought to our court um, that legal claim for for money or that whatever it might be may just be the the ticket that that gets them through the door, but there may be other other goals or other things behind that, uh, and it's important to always recognize and identify those issue spot. Always want an issue spot. Okay, so it sounds like you know you're really mindful, just drawing on your range of experience in mediating. That uh, sometimes when parties are able to come to an agreement, that the solution really has nothing to do with the problem, right? So. Um, it may not always be necessary to completely dissect the problem in a mediation that to the extent it is and parties feel that it's necessary to discuss the problem and go into details. It sounds like you as a mediator, you're you're open to doing that and you're happy to do that with the parties. But you also, from your experience, know that sometimes the solution has nothing to do with the problem mm-hmm. and and um, why make people relive past events that they're not happy about if if they don't have to. 
Okay. Um, well, hey, this has been great fun. Uh, and I thought I'd sort of wrap things up by asking you, just like I've asked our other guests, uh, can you share with our listeners a fun fact about yourself? Oh, let's see. Um, well, in my uh, spare time, I guess, uh, uh, nights and weekends, I guess, I, I help out a, a private foundation that runs a, a global competition for, for students age 4 to 18 to help solve uh, uh, real-life issues around the world. We focus so far on uh, home fires, uh, waste reduction, uh, improving uh, global food security. So we try to address a range of issues and get students involved in trying to come up with uh, innovative and creative uh, ideas to, to solve the world's problems. Uh, you know, as as adults, attorneys especially, we're very risk adverse and and might not uh, might think we have all the ideas or the solutions. But the, the kids have come up with some great ideas. Uh, yeah, each year they come up with amazing uh, uh, and creative ideas. They work together to solve all these all these issues. Um, so and we give up to a hundred thousand dollars to the the grand prize winners. So uh, it's it, it's it's been uh, enjoyable, and uh, I hope I get to do it uh, as long as I can. Well, that sounds really cool. And that sounds like another actually interesting application of like a solutions focused problem solving <laughs> exactly. approach, yeah, right? That's right, right? That's right? That sounds yeah. like great synergy, great synergy yeah. that you're part of that. And then people can just Google the, the paradigm challenge if they want to, they want to see that. I guess that it's kind of relevant, right? Cause we're, we're thinking about how can we change the paradigm for the better here in, in mediation. And, uh, it's a little bit of what that, that challenge focuses on. Well, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. And how can parties connect with you if they want to continue the conversation? They can always email me. Um, uh, our contact information is on our small claims website, uh, smallclaims.fcmcclerk.com. Call our office. Uh, we have a very small office, so chances are you'll probably get either myself or, or one of our other uh, mediation staff. Well, great. Well, Alex, this has been so much fun. Uh, thank you for joining us here today on Meetups with Mediators. Thank you for having me. And that wraps up this episode of Meetups with Mediators. Let's make your next mediation your best mediation. Talk to you next time.